Hello, welcome one and all to this episode of Bigfoot Learning Podcast, where we do not necessarily focus on the creature of Bigfoot, but more using that term in a way of approaching learning as a lifelong endeavor through the different experiences and people you encounter in your life from the lessons that they leave imprinted in your mind from showing up and such and going forward. And today, I am your host, Monica Tews, and we have as a guest, Britton Brewer, as professor of psychology from Springfield College, and grateful to have you on today, Britt. Thank you for the invitation, Monica. You're welcome. So with the show's focus of being learning as a lifelong journey and not merely something contained to 12 to 20 years or so uh, in a structured learning setting, wanted to kind of have you share with the listeners, if you could, about how you got to the position you are at in life right now of being a professor teaching psychology to undergrad students and graduate students and helping lead stuff like research team and such. So uh, on that note, what would you say would be that skeleton outline highlight reel for you? Uh, the real skeletal outline would be such that I entered a, as you call it, structured learning setting more than 50 years ago, and I essentially never left. So uh, in reflecting on that, that's kind of a long time, um, but uh, uh, it has kind of gone by in a flash as well. So um, I am a creature of the structured learning setting. And there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, well, on that note, we may have some of like the answers and conversation down the line for this interview to kind of have some overlaps or such. And with that, I'll, you know, kind of learn a little bit of your own definition of learning and go a little deeper beyond there. And so with that, from your experiences in life, if you had the opportunity to change the definition of learning that's in the dictionary right now, what would you choose to have it as? I mean, I think most textbook definitions of learning have something to do with uh, organisms changing on the basis of the experiences that they've had. And I think, you know, in its totality, that's a, a pretty succinct definition and it covers a lot of ground. Um, one implication that is, uh, I think, lost in the shuffle a little bit is that as long as any creature has experiences, um, they are essentially learning whether, whether they change in response to those experiences or in some cases don't change because the experiences might prompt a change, but the organism may stay the same um, as a conscious decision or unconscious decision, but even that is a, a reflection of learning. So in a way, I, I do like the 
bare bones textbook definition because I think it covers covers so much ground and and it, you know all the experiences that we have essentially are learning opportunities. Very true. Yeah. So I'd say your definition is what's out there for that standard plus the little sprinkling Brit Brewer in there. Very <laughs> nice. Well, on that note then of learning based off your definition of something that organisms and individuals learn from and kind of learn from without knowing or not and like their responses are according to that either with change or no change so from there want to go into some of the different influences that you have had in your life that may have helped shape that definition for you and or uh, some some sort or another your life and so with that be using phrase of Bigfoot of your person your various forms of Bigfoots in your life of uh, those people who may have left positive or negative lessons in your mind and that you embody or go back to those lessons even to today. And so on that note, who has been a personal Bigfoot for you? I mean, again, being involved in the, the enterprise for as long as I have, there's a, a long list of of, of mentors and teachers and instructors and coaches that I've had over the years that I've drawn upon. Um, and uh, again, you accumulate a lot the, when you're in the, this game for, for decades, but at the same time, um, those are formal learning experiences and where the intention is often for, for learning to occur. And some of it is within the, the bounds of a, a course um, but it may also be within in more informal contacts and, and you, you learn vicariously by observing how others conduct themselves and so forth. And, and certainly there, uh, you know, various graduate school mentors I had are, are, are of particular importance. Um, and then there's, there's also, uh, like you suggested, situations where, uh, where learning has occurred as a result of unfortunate experiences, things that didn't go well. And uh, I don't really want to necessarily credit those individuals with, with uh, helping me learn, but I think a, a, an expansive definition of learning would, would count those individuals as learning agents as well. Um, and so I, I think that the, the learning that one has is the totality of the experience. And that really allows uh, allows for an opportunity just to basically soak it all in. Nice. Any, and you mentioned there a lot of kind of all encompassing of both positive or and different negative in a broad sense. So just stay more on that 
positive side of it, like what would you, are some specific lessons that you learned from those positive mentors and Bigfoots in your life? I mean, a lot of, a lot of the knowledge is sort of discipline or profession specific in that, you know, again, I'm involved as an, as an educator, as a teacher, as a, as a professor, and there are, you know, specific job duties that one has and, and ways of conducting oneself, how you teach, what the ways, ways you do so, how you, how you conduct research, how you interact with, with colleagues. And, and those are, those are some things that uh, certainly are, are things that I've picked up from people I'm close to people who have had sometimes formal responsibility for mentoring me. Um, but other times just people I've interacted with as well. And all of those opportunities have given me the the ability to function within this particular role. Um, and uh, reflecting on that, I think, is, is an interesting thing to do, sort of if you break down what you do, where did you pick that up? Where did you learn that from? Um, and sometimes you can't answer that question. It's just, it's not as if, maybe as if learning occurs by osmosis, but um, that's, that's more along the lines of that unconscious learning that I was talking about earlier. Gotcha. Is that a little bit harder necessarily pinpoint down to like a few because it's happening and you may not notice it till later or whatnot and then it's hard to say where that origin came from and such so cool well yeah that I do feel like what you did learn from those individuals are very important of kind of just lean into the aspect of you know with the whole professional side and such of there there can be some of those maybe like a, a um some of those bigger areas to keep in mind and there's also the everyday little things to keep in mind as you're going forward which you learn from and eventually you don't need to think about as much because you've learned how to take care of those kind of daily tasks and such. So uh, I liked hearing that part in your answer to keep that in mind. So great. Well, that's kind of a bit of the narrowed sense and now to kind of zoom out a bit to those influences and such that you may not have personally met, but you have learned from whether reading their works, whether it be research books or uh, watch videos of them and such. So who would you consider individuals for yourself who have been Bigfoots from afar in your own life? Uh, Bigfoots from afar. Um, again, a lot of that is kind of discipline specific or spe spe specific to my narrow areas of interest. Those are the people I've had contact with. Those are the people whose works I've read about. Um, and uh, 
I, I mean, I think most people who, who interact with a, a discipline like that have those context specifics. They're, they're, you know, people who have maybe published a lot in that area or had a, a great impact through their, through their work. Um, but I was thinking that uh, along those lines that, um, that it's, it's a lot like the day-to-day -day activities in that I'm not sure that there's any one figure that I would necessarily cite, oh, that's Sigmund Freud or, or Albert Bandura, um, although I was gratified um, very early on in my career to get a reprint request from Albert Bandura, a little postcard back in the day where you didn't, oh, wow. you couldn't download articles or, from the internet because there wasn't an internet at that time, except maybe in, in uh, the defense department was doing it at that time. But um, you would send postcards to authors whose works you were interested in, who you learned about, maybe you, you saw in a journal, but you didn't have a budget for copying or the opportunity to do that. And, and they would send out a postcard to request papers and as a professional courtesy and to get your work uh, disseminated, you would send that out to colleagues. So that was kind of a, an interesting brush with fame there. Well, this is really neat to hear. Like it's, um mainly having gone through any like research while the internet's been available it's cool hearing those stories of oh i had to go to the library and uh, go look at all the different physical copies and physically mail request forms and such so with that uh, what and I know I mentioned a little bit in the beginning about your connection to research and you mentioned it here with this answer. So I was curious what got you interested into diving into research? Well, again, research is an activity that uh, is often I think, you know, begins in probably the late elementary school, maybe middle school, junior high school period, you learn a little bit how to do it. And then it becomes increasingly a part of the academic preparations that people do. And I got started in a little bit as an undergraduate student. And then as a graduate student, it's, it's a, a increasingly larger portion of of what one, one does and it just sort of mushroomed from there. Uh, and as, as you become more immersed, additional questions come up that you wanna get answers to and uh, you delve a little further into the process and uh, it, it kind of becomes a little bit of a, a monster after a while and that it's not necessarily uh, what you planned when you started, but you wind up somewhere else and you're uh, like most learning, um, changed as a result of the process that you've gone through. Um, so I didn't anticipate that that's what I would be doing a lot of other than what the requirements were. Uh, but once you get hooked, sometimes uh, it does take on a life of its own. I feel that getting hooked on research and then get carried away. Oh, 
with there, what, from your research experiences, would you say, because from what I know, and I feel like I only know tip of the iceberg of the different research endeavors that you've been a part of. So uh, going off of that, what has been your favorite lesson or research finding that you've been able to come across during your time so far? I'd have to say that one of my most favorite experiences, and it's happened several times over the course of my career, which is where you're able to use uh, some sort of measurement strategy to assess some sort of concept um, that is, you know, a theoretical construct, but it's something that that you have hypothesized as existing, and you can document that. You can sense that through uh, various measurement strategies. I'll give a real concrete example, and this is one of my uh, very first research projects that I did for uh, my master's degree. It was in an area of, of pain perception. And uh, one of the things um, that I needed to do before I could conduct the study that I had proposed for my thesis was to identify a means of inducing laboratory pain um, at different levels. And this is a method that would be safe and uh, reliable. And I had a thesis committee member that insisted that not you not just go with the logic that it, it worked the way it should, um, but you had to demonstrate it empirically. And uh, essentially it was a, a device that uh, induced, um, you find out what a person's pain tolerance was and then you could inflate a blood blood pressure cuff that increased the, that increased the pain level to a various percentage of one's maximum. And uh, it was real kind of interesting to me to see that uh, when you inflated the blood pressure cuff to induce 30% of a person's pain tolerance um, on a scale from zero to a hundred, people gave a mean of about uh, 29 or 30. So it's like, wow, just perfect. And for 60%, I think the mean was 58, um, which was, again, this is like a, a using a measurement strategy to detect something that you're hypothesizing as occurring. Um, and it's, it's sort of a mental construct being detected through uh, a measurement strategy. Um, and it's kind of like, I imagine the gratification is for uh, people who aim telescopes and other devices at the heavens and detect things that they, they you know, think are there um, based on the uh, movements of, of stars and, and, and uh, uh, bending of light and so forth. And then when they finally lay, lay eyes on it, it confirms their suspicions. I felt it was kind of a, a nice kind of gratifying aha moment like that. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. That, that was quite interesting to hear a little bit more on and yeah, it sounded like you had to adapt and be creative to be able to still measure what you 
wanted to measure empirically and such. So, well, then on that note, we have come around to a question I like to bring in for an element of fun. A lot of the questions so far have been ones that of you know, people that you've learned from that you've known either personally or from afar, which it sounds like many of your afar influences you've been able to connect with as well to communicate a little bit. So that is uh, really great to hear too. So for this next one, what would you say would be a fictional Bigfoot that you may have for yourself that could be from any shows, movies, plays, any kind of fictional caliber that you think kind of have has left some life lessons in your mind? I'd say one of the life lessons I've had from fictional and real Bigfoots is that a lot of times, uh, and this is the base on the basis of experience, and and it's that uh, heroes often let you down. Um, you know, I think the modern day thing is, uh, you know, you find uh, uh, something in someone's so- social media history or something like that that prompts you to think about them in a different light, and so I think. In, in that respect, uh, what I've learned um, is to uh, take what, what, what's good and what's, what's beneficial from a, a wide range of sources and, and as, as you suggest, to learn from, learn from them, but not to buy into the individuals themselves. I mean, it's certainly there are many worthwhile individuals um, and it's just that you're less likely to be disappointed that way. And you're buying into the ideas, not the egos that gave rise to those ideas. Very true. Any specific examples on that front? Of heroes that, that let me down? Well, that way, um, <laughs> you can uh, either on that side or more so, uh, to keep it on a safer side, the like fictional aspects of that that kind of brought that lesson to light in your mind. Well, in in fiction, it is easier to keep uh, keep things on the on the up and up because it's it's all someone's narrative, and they don't have to um, have to ex- expose the seamy underbelly. That that may be there, um, so <laughs> in that sense, it's possible to draw inspiration from from many um, heroic and ordinary people um, and characters along those lines. Uh, it's it's it is an interesting um, it is an interesting uh, point though to note that you know, superheroes are kind of all the rage these days. And it's not that that's not a new thing, but even more so than that probably ever before. And uh, it's an ongoing dynamic of the, of the superheroes to have, you know, there's the, the dark side of Batman and, and uh, you know, how, how they may, you know, 
perform heroic deeds, but they have a have a human weakness or something along mm -hmm. those lines that makes them mortal, brings them back to earth. And um, and I, I do think maybe there's a there's a lesson in that in terms of I think that that maybe the the authors of those tales are trying to tell us something as well that. Um, you know, maybe things aren't all that you see or that there is a balance within people. And um, I'm, 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 not a, I'm not into digesting and criticizing literature because that kind of takes the fun away from, from enjoying it for me. But uh, there are those who, who do that for a living and I'm sure would have um, a more sophisticated analysis of that, that phenomenon. Fair point. Well, I say even slow with covering that core question, you were able to provide a, a collective of different lessons and such. And so thank you for that. And on, now that we covered all like the main questions, we are nearing the end of this interview and I wanted to check if you have any final thoughts for the listeners out there, Britt. Well, I know one thing that you asked me about um, in corresponding before, before we met today um, was uh, about my uh, use of analogies and metaphors. And uh, I contemplated that a little bit and it's not always necessarily for the recipient. They reflect in many cases, my own uh, looking for looking for parallels in, in the experience. It's just another way of, of when you use a, an analogy or a metaphor, you're trying to process new information using some sort of existing relationship or existing pattern that already you know about. Um, and I'm constantly, constantly finding uh, new examples. And sometimes when, when you're un unable to find a parallel that tells you something else. It tells you mm. that you've come across something new. Uh, and uh, I, I look for analogies just, just for the sake of uh, coming up with something memorable using an existing schema that makes sense um, and, and maybe is, is, has, has some sort of humorous value on top of that. That's another way of binding, um, binding the phenomenon to, to uh, what you already know. Very true. And I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it does bring to mind, have you had any, and I know you've had many analogies you've used over the years, but do you have a favorite analogy that you've used that still lingers in your mind for whatever the point you were trying to get across? I really don't. Um, the favorite analogy I have is the one that I'm using at the moment. <laughs> I love that. But sort of along the lines of love the one you're with, I guess. True. And yeah, a little bit of making sure that what the analogy is, is something that kind of works presently and for the one receiving the analogy and such. Yeah, I, I think in that case, if it if it if it works for me, sometimes that's good enough. But ideally, it, it has some sort of communicative value as well. 
Very good. Well, thank you, Britt, for sharing your thoughts and lessons that you've had. And uh, appreciated having you on today. And to listeners out there, as we touched upon in this episode, learning is out there, whether you're seeking it or not. So be ready for those experiences and take them on however you choose to respond to them. Until next time. Welcome now to the post-episode reflection portion of the show. When I was reviewing this episode, a few points popped in my mind, which I'm going to go over now. And the first one is how procrastination can be quite the fickle creature. You may have it show up when you're working on something for school, for work, or something for fun on your own time. And it can put a hindrance on working towards whatever that goal or task is on mind. With there, procrastination affects everyone differently. And with that, I know for myself, a lot of times it's a balancing act of the planning and thinking side of completing a matter and then also the action side, the actual execution to getting said goal completed. And as much fun as the planning and thinking side is, need, I know I need reminders at times to actually make those plans come true by putting in the actual work that will do so. And I feel a factor that comes into play, especially with this type of project, is having to listen to one's voice when reviewing the interviews and such. And with there, I'm curious if in the future, down the line, if that becomes easier or more comfortable and such. And even with that, it, I feel like it, it will take some time and will still be something that is necessary to be able to bring out the best work that I can. And then also you can't necessarily learn if you don't see what you have done and check over there. So with that, even though listening to one's voice is not the most fun for most people, myself included, it's something that is needed for the final product. And for that, I will keep on going with said work. And with that, I know for the next part that I wanted to touch on is that 
I have gotten those core questions fairly familiarized now, and now I'm a bit in a trial and error after hearing some feedback because the the learning definition question I feel like gives a good essence of the guests for each episode, and then still, you know, life is a journey and being able to see how people briefly got to their learning journey that position that they currently are at is something that had recently been brought to my attention and so I'm did a little bit of trial and error there I feel like I'll still switch up that question going forward but I while still having it as a part to still see how it meshes the best with the show and on that note I did want to touch on that I am open to feedback and seeing how I can integrate said feedback into future episodes so with that you can reach out in whatever way works best and with there whether that's um, leaving uh, comments or I've recently set up a Twitter page for the account which I'll put in the show notes and with there just yeah sharing any thoughts that may be able to be integrated into future episodes and see where that may go and for last point I wanted to touch on for this episode is how although the show has a tendency to focus on kind of the bigger matters I feel that with learning this episode has emphasized and something I want to keep in mind for future episodes is that emphasis of the life lessons learned over necessarily the individuals that may have carried over that lesson and such because you may not know exactly who those lessons were had come from and it could be a combination of individuals that those different life lessons may have came from and from there they can be lessons that are small or big and positive or negative and with there that is all that I have for today's episode for episode 7 and until next time